Well, good morning. So we uh, gather back here in the student space, our kids space, for uh, another Sunday. But we, despite where we are or wherever we have to move to, we will do what we do. We're going to worship God together, and we're going to open his word and see how he might speak, be speaking into our lives. So you're going to want a Bible this morning as we're going to continue to dive into worship and uh, what it means to worship God. And so uh, if you have a Bible, go on and open up. Um, we're actually going to begin in Isaiah 41, but uh, Isaiah, or Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Um, and if you need a Bible, we have some people walking around. Just slip up a hand. They'll get a Bible to you so that you can follow along. But as you're finding your way there to Isaiah 43, uh, we're about to enter in to uh, just a, a really beautiful season that I, I love for our church family. Um, we call it the journey. And, uh, and the journey is uh, it's five weeks that we just stop and as, a, as an entire church family, all ages, from uh, our littles to our senior adults, uh, focus in on one topic uh, and invite everyone into just a deeper experience of community and connection with each other. And so, uh, so the journey is kind of, it revolves around three things. Um, it is uh, the teaching on Sunday morning and worship, obviously, that then uh, will lead into a, uh, into a conversation within a smaller group, a, a journey group. And, uh, and then from that, uh, there's always a weekly personal challenge or uh, action step to take that then you'll come back together the following week. And so the whole church together is sort of in this rhythm of Sunday morning teaching into deeper discussion, into practical application. And there's just something powerful that happens when the church gets into alignment in that way, uh, from our kids and conversations with our teenagers to, uh, to having some friends around the dinner table, all processing and learning the same thing with God. And so I want to invite Jill uh, Green up here, who uh, helps coordinate um, our different groups, and, uh, and her task has been that she's been given is 100% participation. So if you want Jill to succeed in life, then... We need every one of you to get involved with Journey. But Jill, just tell a little bit more about what we're doing and, and how they can be involved in that. Good morning. Um, like Brian said, we're trying to get everybody to sign up, not because of numbers or to focus on any kind of goal that I have. They're going to let me continue to do this role. Um, but because it's just a powerful thing. Like Brian said, um, many of you maybe participated last year and it was my personal experience that it just was a great time, um, not only to dig deeper and grow closer to the Lord, but also to build community with others around me. So I hope that you'll be encouraged to um, sign up, and we, and perhaps you want to host in your home, which means that you would open your home up for these five weeks. One day a week, you get to decide the time and um, day, so you've got control over that. Um, and there's practical ways you can do that. Um, you ready for me to talk about that? Okay, so we're, there's two ways you can do it. Some of you are savvy on your phone, and if you want to take it out, if you've got the church app, you can take it out now. No one's moving. <laughs> okay, okay, so click on the church app, and then at the bottom where you see the little icons at the bottom, hit groups. Look, oh my gosh. Hit groups, then you go to find a group, scroll down, and you'll see journey. 
journey, then all the open groups that are already established are there. And you can look and see the date, the time, whatever might work for you, age groups. Some of these groups are, um, the ones that are already filled up aren't on there actually, the only the ones that have space. And so you just hit the button that says request to join. And so the leader of that group will contact you and if there's not space, then they're gonna contact me and I'm gonna find you a space. So super easy, but if that's too hard, then outside this morning and next week too, there are clipboards and you can sign up to join a group and I will contact you or put you with someone, a leader, a host that can contact you to sign you up. There's also a clipboard out there that says sign up if you want to host. So pay attention to the clipboard that you're signing up because if you sign up to join and it's on the host one, then guess what? People are coming to your house. No. Um, but anyway, I just encourage you to sign up. I think it's going to be a great time for our church and looking forward to it. If you have any questions, you can email me at Monroe underscore groups at gfc.tv. Thank you. We'll give Jill a round of applause. We are excited about this. Um, and really, when she talks about hosting, it doesn't, I mean, some of you that, that may be like, hey, I'm willing to open my home to a group of total strangers. Uh, what we have found actually is most effective with hosting um, is if, if there's one or two other people or couples that you already know, and then we can open it up and say, hey, are there two or three other people or couples that would want to, to join what you're doing? Um, and so, so it may be that you're just saying, hey, I know three other families in our neighborhood. We're just going to do that as a, a group of families in the neighborhood. Um, that's awesome. We just want to know about that because we want to resource and equip you well to host well. You'll be given a guide uh, that will walk you through step by step that conversation time. And, and uh, it's, it's very, very low maintenance, user friendly, easy for anyone, even if you've never done anything like this, uh, to, to jump right in. But with that, so uh, we felt like going into, or, and, and I shared this, but like that, that there was something significant for us as a church uh, during Watch Week, that God was moving us into a deeper season uh, with him. And it felt like, you know, I've been moving onto this campus and expanding ministry into the neighborhoods and, and some of the outreach initiatives and foster care and defects and, and uh, going, de uh, going broader into to serving the schools and engaging with kids. Like, I mean, we, we've just lots and lots of just activity and ministry and mission. Uh, God expanding opportunities in the Middle East and what was going on with Epic and all of that. It just felt like uh, that, that, that God has just been opening door after door after door. And as a church, that we've been just moving full throttle into all that God has for us. Uh, and, uh, and it's been really an exciting season over the last couple of years. But it felt like as we're moving into this watch week, and, and I was feeling this personally as your pastor, just to be really honest, and as a leader, and share this with the elders, is that, that, uh, that what God was, was uh, encouraging me with was to enter into a season of, of depth, of pausing long enough to, to, to establish roots for that next season of growth and fruitfulness. And, and really, I just felt like that was personal. Like, I just felt like for our family that this was just a, a season of just learning to be still, of learning rhythms of Sabbath and, and uh, increasing uh, my, uh, just that time of just silence and solitude with the Lord, of just abiding with Him, uh, of just really uh, just kind of soul health um, be, before uh, fruitful activity. But then it just felt like, okay, maybe this isn't just for me personally. Maybe this is for us as a church. 
And there was this thing that began to emerge in Watch Week where that people were echoing that same sense of God just calling us into a place of just abiding, rest, uh, a sense of centering and experiencing his peace and his presence so that uh, we can enter into deeper places of fruit and, uh, and, um, and ministry. And so it was interesting that, you know, in the middle of Watch Week, all of a sudden the sanctuary catches fire. Right? And then out of that, so we talked about that last week, and, you know, I mean, just trusting, okay, God, your timing and all this, and, and uh, we want to hear from you, and we can worship you anywhere. And so that was Sunday. Well, then Tuesday morning, we get a biblical flood, and, uh, and we're literally out here, a handful of, of folks that, you know, Kirkland and Rob, Rodney, some guys, uh, and uh, Coleman are out here, like, with, with, with shovels and brooms outside of the student space trying to keep, and i show you some video later, but the stu- literally this building that we moved in because of a fire from flooding. And it's like, okay, God, in the fire and the flood, what are you doing? And so we decided, I decided to start with Isaiah 43 this morning, which you've already looked ahead. Isaiah 43, but know this, says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know, what struck me about this passage in Isaiah is not God saying, I'm going to keep you from the fire and the flood, does he? No, he says, like, when you go through the fire, when you go through the flood, what? I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am the one who has redeemed you. I am your Savior. And there's this centering into the reality, the presence of of God. And I just wonder for how many of us in this room, and I don't know what your fire is, what feels like it's burning up in your life. I don't know what that, the flood is in your family that feels like it's overwhelming you, it's going to wash you away. But I bet right now, if you pause just a split second, you, you can, God can call that to mind. And there's this reminder, not that God keeps us from the fire and the flood, because that is the reality of living in a broken and painful world. A world defined by this, the sin of mankind. But that in the midst of the brokenness and the pain, loss and crises and chaos, God is present and God is real and God is faithful. And as we remember that truth, as we reorient our lives and center in on that reality, that is worship. Now, we talked last week about worship being the right response to the reality of God. And uh, of God sort of peeling back the curtains between heaven and earth. And, and as we get a glimpse of his glory, of his power, of, of his infinite presence, that all we can do is to respond with our, with our words and our lives 
We praise you, God. We praise you. And we talk about how that, that Hebrew word for worship is, uh, it carries this sense of, of falling, not just on our knees, that's to bless, to lift up another, but to falling flat on our face. Prostrate before God in total surrender. You are God and I am not. And the reality is that, that uh, God doesn't need our worship. I mean, he delights in our worship. He definitely deserves our worship, but he doesn't need our worship. And, and so last week we talked a lot about how God deserves our worship. It is, it is, he is holy and, and good and vast and powerful, and we respond because he deserves it. It is not about us. He doesn't need our worship, but the, but the truth is we need to worship. We were created to worship. And yes, worship isn't about us, but in worship, God does things in us that we need. And so we're going to look real briefly at uh, just a, a few things that, that worship does in us and for us as we respond rightly to who he is. And worship, or we're going to see worship as, as remembrance. Say that, remembrance. We're going we're gonna to see worship as reorientation. Say that, reorientation. We're going to see worship as restoration. Restoration. And we're going to see worship as resistance. Resistance. All right. So worship as remembrance. Over and over again throughout the Psalms, you see that the psalmist declaring that, that our praises go before you. We, we worship with thanksgiving and gratitude and praise. And so in worship, we're remembering not just who God is, his character, his nature, his substance, but we also remember what he has done, his faithfulness, the promises that he's kept, not just for us personally, but, but throughout history. We, we see the biblical story coming to life in our world even today, that, 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 that movement of God that culminated in the, in, in the presence of God in Jesus. And so in worship, we remember who God is and what he has done. Psalm 135, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Continues on, for I know that the Lord is great. This is praising him for who he is. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He's above all gods, above everything in heaven and on earth, in the sea and in all the deep. In all the deep. We praise him for who he is. It continues, though. He, it, it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. So we worship God for who, for what he, who he is, for what he has done. But then it continues in verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, Throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate or redeem his people and have compassion on his servants. So in worship, we remember who God is and we remember what God has done, but we also remember what God promises he will do. That he is not finished, 
His work is not complete both in us and in this world. And so we remember the reality of God, and our souls need this. In Revelation 4, there's this beautiful picture, this powerful picture, that uh, the beloved apostle John is, is visited by an angelic messenger and who, be, who shows him this vision of heaven. It's like, as I said, he's like, he pulls back the curtain between heaven and earth. And we realize how, how thin that veil actually is, that there's a greater reality going on than we can see with our own, uh, with our own natural eye. Now, that's important. And even as we come together and worship on Sundays, for just a moment, we're, we're, we remind each other, we remember together that there is a bigger picture than what we can see. There's a bigger story that we find ourselves in. And, and that's, that's, I would say, more critical now than it's ever been because we live in a world that is, that is literally defined by what's happening right in front of our face. By... by constant noise and distraction by silliness and pettiness division and hatred fear and anger i mean all of these things these these the flood these waves that that rock us back and forth and and we find ourselves uh, on this this sinking shaky ground and in worship we remember no god is the unchanging eternal one we remember that he's in control. His kingdom cannot be shaken. He will endure. He has come and he will come again. And so in Revelation 4, John gets this glimpse. The curtain is pulled back. The veil is thin. And he sees in heaven, the reality of heaven, these four creatures it says, surrounding the throne of God. I'll start in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the, and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and, I, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once, in the Spirit, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, of these, of these brilliant jewels. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I mean, I love if you're trying to, to grasp what John is doing here in Revelation. He's just, he's trying to put words to this thing that is beyond comprehension. I mean, it's like, it's like a rainbow. Well, no, actually, it's more like jewels. I mean, it's like this brilliant scene that this throne of God. And around the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings of and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there it was it were a sea of glass like crystal. I mean, this... Incredible picture of the reality of the presence of God. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. They can see all things. The first living creature was like a lion, 
the king of the beast. The second creature is the living creature was like an ox, the king of domestic animals. The third living creature with the face of a man, humanity, and the fourth living creature like an eagle, the king of the skies in flight. In other words, the representatives of all of creation were surrounding the throne of God. And what were they doing? Day and night, without ceasing, declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this representatives of all of creation declaring the holiness of God before the throne of God with the best words John could come to describe the brilliance of God. And alongside of those four creatures representing all of creation, there's 24 elders. And there's all kinds of disagreement about who the 24 elders are, but what we know is that they're leaders that represent the children of God. Some say it's the 12 tribes of Israel alongside the 12 disciples. Some say it represents the, the 24 uh, um, divisions of the priests before the temple of God back in the time of, of David and Solomon and the Levitical temple and Moses. We don't know what it represents. What we know is that it represents those who stand before God as his children. And what do they do? They fall on their face and they worship him. And they take those crowns, those, the, 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 the symbol of authority, the symbol of their, their power, the symbols of, of what they've accomplished in this world, and they throw it right at his feet. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created we worship to remember and everything going on in the world around us in fires and floods crises and chaos there's a God who reigns eternal supreme and unchanging and faithful higher and above everything in heaven and on earth and as we remember God begins to reorient the way that we see our lives gives us peace to stand in the midst of our pain. He gives us hope to move forward in the midst of difficulty. I remember when I was uh, a sophomore in college, my parents came to visit me, um, and uh, I'd just been there for a few weeks, so it was kind of abnormal for them to come up to South Carolina. And I thought they were just going to, you know, I'm awesome. So, of course, they wanted to see me. And, uh, but, I mean, it was a long trip for them just to come take me to lunch, honestly. And so uh, I was like, okay, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here? And, uh, and so I was like, I guess, you know, okay, let's go to lunch. And so I, I started to stand up to leave um, my, my dorm room. And uh, I remember my mom said, no, no, actually, Brian, could you just sit down? We, we have something we need to tell you about. And so then I was like, <laughs> talk about guilty conscience. In my head, 
I was trying to remember everything I had done wrong that they didn't know about yet. And uh, <laughs> I was like, what did they find out about? And, uh, and, uh, and so my mom said, uh, she goes, hey, I, she, I, I, I've been to the doctor recently and, and found out that I have breast cancer. And, um, and so, I mean, uh, and what she, the kind that she had was a, a super aggressive form, and, um, and they're beginning treatment immediately. And so it just it rocked my world. I mean, it absolutely. Like my mom, you know, coming from divorce and all that kind of stuff, is like that my mom is the one that had always been with me. You know I mean? It's like my mom was the one I could always count on. And so this thought of, like, losing my mom was incredibly uh, devastating to me, just that thought. And, uh, and so in that time of just really God kind of regrounding me in my faith and, uh, and rediscovering faith in a fresh way, he gave me this, this psalm. He led me to Psalm 46. And it's been one that ever since then I've, I've held on to uh, in, in times of, of, of difficulty or discouragement. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. And even if the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam, continues, be still and know that I am God. And so in that season, Psalm 46 was this remembrance act of worship for me. This is who God is. He's faithful. He's true. Now, a couple years later, I had the chance to go to Africa for the first time, and uh, and it was super fun. I was there for three months, and um, but about a month in, I just got super homesick. I mean, I was around, like, there's no one I knew. I'd been sent to, to live with this family out in the middle of the bush in, uh, in Botswana, and um, didn't, I mean, I didn't know anyone, and it just was, it was so lonely and so homesick. And I remember uh, I was sitting at lunch one day, and um, these families, I mean, sorry, these, all these, uh, these college students and, and also the, the family that I was with, uh, they're all having lunch, and they're all, they're all speaking in their native tongue, and I didn't understand. I mean, I don't know that language, and so it was just noise to me, and, and I felt like such an outsider. And so I went, I just kind of excused myself, and I went back in my room, and I got on my knees, and I was like, God, I am so lonely. Like, I, I feel so alone right now. And I just opened my Bible, and, I, and it opened up to Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. May I dwell in your tent forever. I tell you these stories because worship isn't just this thing we come and do for an hour. Worship is an invitation of God to restore our soul as we remember who he is. And all through my life, God has met me in different places in different ways of lifting up my eyes, of worshiping him and his present reality. And I said it's worship as an act of remembrance, but it's also as an act of reorientation. Psalm 41 says, I waited, 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. There 
some of you that aren't just paralyzed and bound up because of your present circumstances. I mean, some of you I know are, are overwhelmed by whatever's going on in your life. And God is inviting you to encounter him in a fresh way, to, 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 to lift you out of that pit. But there are some of you that aren't just bound by what's happening to you right now. You're still living in bondage to something that happened to you in the past. Like you're still living with your feet caught in a trap that you got stuck in 20 years ago. Some event or failure or struggle or place of shame, something that you did or something that was done to you. And in worship, we give space to God to sort of rewrite the story or realign the story of our lives from his perspective. When I was real little, I, um, I was in the backyard playing, and, uh, and, and my dad was tossing bricks uh, from one pile to another pile in the backyard, from one side of the yard to the other, and not paying any attention, uh, sort of like the way I live my life now. I just kind of Walked through and mid toss, and I caught a brick right here. I saw a scar to prove it. And I remember, I mean, like sort of the panic of it, and they rushed me to the emergency room, and I got stitches, and um, and uh, and walked through that whole time. I know it's super traumatic for my dad. I think it's probably worse for him than it was for me. Um, and I, and I learned an important lesson: uh, don't walk in front of people throwing bricks. Now, but how different would that story be if in my memory, as a small child, the, the, the story that I kept telling myself was not, I walked in front of a brick that my dad was throwing, but that I was playing in the backyard and my dad threw a brick at me. Right? And that lesson would be very different. That lesson would be, Stay away from your dad. He's dangerous. He throws bricks. Now, I know that's a silly story. But it's the reality that all of us live in. Because you have an enemy who is ruthless. And his job, his, his whole role, John, John 10 tells us, is to steal, kill, and destroy the work that God is doing to take away from whatever God is doing. It is not your past that holds you in bondage. It is your interpretation of the past and what that means about God and what that means about you. So God doesn't change, quote-unquote, our memories. Your past is your past. The things that happen, they happen. That is part of your story. But in, in worship, as we reorient our mind, as we remember who he is, we give space to God to rewrite what those things mean. And as God replaces lies with truth, it is his truth that sets us free, Jesus tells us, is that, is that as he replaces lies with truth, as he realigns our story in line with his story, that we see our past rightly from his perspective, we are set free to live in our present and to move towards our future. So worship is not just about singing songs, though that's part of it. It's about awakening our hearts and our minds, our souls, to the reality of God and the truth of who he is and who we are in him. I wanted to get into... 
some of the uh, some some of the the practical like postures of worship. That worship isn't just something we do with our minds and with our songs. Uh, but we don't have time to get into that this morning. But I encourage you this week to to do a word study. I mean, I say this every week. Way more important than anything I have to say is what God wants to speak to you through His Word. And so, uh, so I would encourage you to go through the Psalms and look at all of the different ways God invites us to praise. We praise with singing. We praise with shouting. We praise with silence. We praise standing and dancing and clapping. We praise with, with music. We praise with our, our hands raised. We praise on our faces. And, and I say all that because it, it's not just this like mental thing that God is doing. In fact, actually, uh, neuroscientists are finding out more and more that, that there's a deep correlation between what's going on in our brain and what's going, and, and, and what's going on with our bodies. And so it makes sense that as God is rewiring our brain to be more in align with who he is and, uh, and who he's made us to be, that he'd also be inviting us to engage him with our body, with our whole being. Actually, it's interesting. Uh, we have a family member who is, uh, is, is battling Parkinson's right now, and, uh, and which is a, a, a um, degeneration of the brain. It's like um, it's in your brain. Uh, but what they found is that one of the um, the the best it's not not cure but treatments for Parkinson's. You know what it is? Dance. Dance. This thing, this degeneration in your brain. They find that the the the, the best strengthening or the best battle against this uh, this deterioration is to to learn to move your body in a new way. And so it makes sense to go back to the Psalms and God talking about reorienting our lives around his reality, that he would also invite us to respond to him with our bodies, to lift up our hands, to dance with our feet, to fall on our face. That is not just a mental exercise, it's a whole way of being that resets the trajectory of our lives. And so it is act of remembrance, a way of reorientation, and then worship is restoration, storing hope, awakening dreams, sustaining us in sorrow and grief. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. How many of us in this room, that's our longing before God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, your deliverance, God. In worship, we give space to God to restore to us the things that are broken and the things that are lost. Psalms, 
David will write that, that like, God, where are you? Have you forsaken me? Have you abandoned me? My enemies overwhelm me. I mean, he's very honest with God about being angry or hurt or alone or scared or sad, whatever it is. He, he throws all of it at God's feet. And then he says, and yet, and yet I will praise you. In worship, especially in times when we don't feel like it, worship is an act of resistance against the schemes of the enemy where we say, yes, it feels like my world is falling apart, but I'm going to turn my face to the one who holds it together. Yes, it feels like my feet are stuck in a miry pit, but I'm going to turn my heart to the one who lifts me up. Yes, I feel alone, but I am going to, to turn my soul to the one who said that he has never left me or forsaken me. Is worship as an act of resistance against the brokenness and the failures of this world. Yes, it seems this way, but I am holding on to a different reality. And so I say all that because that feels very personal to us in this season. Yes, there's a lot going on in the world around us, fires and floods. To be honest, I mean, I shared with you that everything going on in Gaza and the Middle East has been uh, incredibly grieving um, to me personally. And... Um, and the ministry and our friends and partners over there. But in the midst of all of that, uh, for us as a family, um, it has been a, uh, a, a, a different and difficult season. And, uh, and one that I haven't really shared or invited people into, um, I mean, apart from, from close friends, but I really did feel led by God to share this with you uh, this morning. And, uh, and part of that is every week, I stand up here and I say, um, tell me how I can be praying for you. And uh, I've always promised to lead from a place of authenticity. And so in the same way that I every week ask the church, how can I be praying for you? It feels like in these times that I need to say to the church, hey, you can be praying for, for me, for, for my family. Um, and... Uh, and, and in that is that um, right before Thanksgiving, uh, we found out that, that Sadie had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, we, uh, and that was a surprise to us uh, out of uh, God, and really are grateful the Lord kind of prompted her to, um, to go get a mammogram. And if you know my wife, she's not a super doctor kind of person. And, uh, and so um, she uh, but felt like God was saying, hey, just go get checked out. You know, I mean, uh, and, uh, and so she went, and, uh, and sure enough, through that process, right before Thanksgiving, um, we, we find out. Now, uh, the thing that we're super grateful for is, what is that uh, when they found it and uh, were able to remove it, is that it hadn't spread. And so it was non-invasive um, at that point. So they were able, uh, through surgery, to remove all of it. And so, um, so I like to say that my wife is so amazing that she beat cancer before she even knew that she had cancer. Um, but the kind they found, it was a more aggressive, uh, it was the, the more aggressive type of breast cancer. And just thankfully, it hadn't gotten out of, out of the duct yet. And, and so because of that, and because of her age, uh, how young she is, um, they're going to treat it very aggressively just to, um, for any point, like to try to minimize any chance of, of reoccurrence and um, uh, moving forward. And so tomorrow, uh, tomorrow yeah, uh, Monday, she, uh, she'll begin radiation treatment for that, for the, for the next month, and then there'll be some other follow-up treatment beyond that. Um, 
I say all, all that just one to invite you to pray to pray for us as a family and also to know sort of where we have been the last uh, um, mentally have been the last few months as we've processed this and um, learned okay what does this mean for us is and like really our um, our deepest sense is just a deep gratitude to God um, that uh, and I say this and that uh, we knew um, that her father had lost his mom when he was in college um, and uh, but through this process of discovery we, we found out that um, that was actually uh, that she died of, of brain cancer with, at 48 um, and then that brain cancer is usually a secondary cancer that flows from another primary cancer and so uh, that story I say because the phrase that Sadie used that really struck me was she said I feel like God has added years to my life um, that we found this early enough that if we were to find this three five years from now it would be a very different story and so I say that to say we were very very thankful um, with where we are but this will be what sort of we're entering into over the next few months and invite you as a church to pray for us um, the other reason I want to tell you is because uh, there people know uh, or starting to know that you know Sadie is uh, is now going into treatment uh, to uh, to prevent any future breast cancer and that word cancer I know has a lot of meanings for a lot of different people um, and so I, I didn't want it to be sort of like wait what you know like Sadie wait what's going on and so I just wanted you to know it, she's cancer free praise the Lord um, they found it early they they've given us a treatment path forward and, uh, and and that's what we'll be moving along so to bring it full circle and yes you can come on up team uh, is uh, when I invite you to worship God in the midst of confusion, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of fear, it is not because it's something I think you should do. It's been something that I know, I know that God is inviting us into. And it's in that place that we discover his reality in a fresh way. And he roots us in his love. And he pours his peace on us. That is worship. And so when we worship God, let it not be we sing a couple songs together. But let it be that we, with expectation, allow God to thin the veil between heaven and earth. To remember who he is reorient our lives around his reality and as an act of resistance that at the end of the day Satan you don't win we know a God who does and so Lord I thank you for your faithfulness I thank you that in the midst of bad and scary news of a world around us that feels like it's falling apart. Even when our bodies are falling apart, that you are faithful and true. And I know, Lord, for each person here, there's something that they carry into this room. Whether it's from this week or from 20 years ago. And that your desire as a good father, as the good shepherd, to come alongside each and every one of us as your sons and daughters.
may our worship restore our souls. May our worship, Lord, honor you.